Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload Podcast. I'm Cliff Saron and my guest today is Brad Miller, who is Chief Technology Officer at Capital One. Today's topic of conversation is software development and software developers. To get things started, Brad, may I ask you to provide a little background about yourself and your role at Capital One, please? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Cliff. Really, really honored to be here today and talk to your audience. Um, at Capital One, currently I lead our enterprise product and platform technology organization. Um, this is the organization that um, really is enterprise services that um, our bank um, card um, commercial mm. businesses build upon. Yeah. And so we own, um, you know, horizontal initiatives like our identity platform or our web and mobile platforms. Mm. Um, we also own, um, which is really uh, interesting times of the modernization of our core um, banking systems as well. And, and then these uh, businesses um, they build upon us the capabilities that they need to to deliver great user experiences for their uh, customers. And yes. um, I've been lucky to be here uh, for two years now. I uh, currently live in New Jersey, and I work out of my office at home right now, um, as well as um, the, our New York office. Okay. And so Capital One's in a very hybrid mode at the moment. Yes, yeah. Okay, then. Um seems like you've got a heck of a lot on your plate and from your New Jersey office. Uh, that's, that's amazing being able to work remotely. Uh, what would you say are the main challenges you see as organizations try to use software innovation to drive business development? So that's quite a broad, you know, broad topic area. Yeah, you know, uh, well, I think when you talk about main challenges, the first thing that comes to mind for me in this market is uh, hiring and hiring great talent. Um, I think that's really pervasive everywhere, everywhere with this war of, of, of talent, technology talent. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and with that, like at Capital One, we have such a large appetite to develop new business capabilities that we're constantly hiring. Um, so that's kind of number one. Number two is really post COVID or, you know, the tale of COVID burnout mm. where, where people have been working in um, isolated ways for very long and having to do a lot of work. And so I think that's a key headwind, not just specific to Capital One, but to the industry yeah, at large. Yeah, I mean, I was I just wanted to go back to the, the first point you made. Uh, there's always been a skills issue. It seems like whenever there's new technology, uh, a new buzz, uh, a, a new trend, uh, there's demand for it, obviously. And suddenly you find that you can't hire people. Is that your experience? Uh, well, um, with respect, I would say Capital One's done a really great job being very specific about the skills that we need. So whether it's front-end development, mm. um, iOS, Android, mobile developers, um, I've been very impressed with um, our recruiters to go after the right talent. Yeah. In, in new new areas like, newer areas like uh, data-focused and ML, mm. um, you know, we're being very prescriptive of what our needs are. Yes. And um, a saying that we use at Capital One a lot is we slope our work, um, which means essentially we prioritize on, on what's most important. And so um, we're really focused on getting the right talent in with the right set of skill sets Yes. Um, to be able to deliver our, our, our capabilities to our customers right now. 
I mean, that leads on me on to the next question, actually. I mean, can you give me a few examples of some of the ways Capital One has been innovating with software? For sure. Um, I mean, innovating at software is, it, it is the core of what we're doing everywhere, mm. um, in every corner of Capital One, which is one of the reasons why I came to Capital One is, um, is really that tech forward lean that this company has. Um, every team is building, um, obviously, with software to meet their customer needs. And mm. you hear me talk about customer a lot because that's really the start of everything. Yes. Um, but from the start of Capital One, it's always had a strong pivot towards data. Yeah. And that certainly has remained the focus of the center of design of the company as data lets us understand and study our customers at great depth and understand what their needs are. Um, I mean, going back to the talent shortage, which you've already touched upon, uh, I mean, what does Capital One do to ensure it can continue to innovate with software? Because I guess the last thing you want is not being able to have the right people on the right projects at the right time. That's correct. Um, and so in order to ensure that we continue to innovate with software, you know, we, we must maintain focus on developing software that is core to Capital One that enables us to innovate on and us deliver great innovations for our customers. Mm. And that doesn't mean that we won't do a buy or a partnership deal by any means um, to get to market quickly. Uh, we certainly will, but we really need to understand that long-term ownership as to being able to move fast, differentiate our products for our customers and really control the prioritization of our needs that ensures that we meet our bar, um, not just from an innovation perspective, but from a, a quality perspective. And so when I think about it, I, I really think it comes down to prioritization and focus mm. on what's core to us versus the surrounds um, that enable us to do our work. So, you know, you've got that as, say, your technical direction, your strategy. How does the talent side align with that? How, how do you ensure that there is going to be the right people to enable Capital One to do the projects that you guys want to do? Yeah, um, a couple of uh, tactics I would argue are, are standing out at Capital One. As I mentioned, hiring in great talent and our pipeline is, is, is one way in which we do that. Mm. Um, and given the fact that Capital One, like what do developers love, right? Well, they love really hard problems. Yes. They love working on the most modern stacks and they love work that are always innovative and, and modernizing, not becoming stale. And, and they love working with great people. And so from an attraction standpoint, we have all those things going for us, which enables us to bring in great talent. And at the same time, we've developed our talent. Like if you look back eight, 10 years ago, we were not a cloud you know, shop and now we are, and we have some of the best cloud engineers in the world. And they've gotten there by developing themselves uh, as well as Capital One enabling them to develop through great training programs. It's so hard to get people um, mm. nowadays that <clears throat> retaining them through training is a critical part of our strategy of yes. maintaining great talent. Mm. I just want to go back to what you were talking about at the very start when you introduced yourself and uh, the, I guess the, this idea that we're in post COVID uh, and, and yourself, and I guess there's a balance of in all businesses where people are thinking about how they work and do they work remotely do, or is it the, is the job going to be office based? 
so my question is really, um, what advice would you give a team leader or a project manager or even a CTO on how how they balance the the work that they require from their software developers uh, in in terms of what the, the business needs to achieve and enabling them to work in a in a way that avoids them getting overworked and feeling sort of like at a, at a bit of a loss or getting burnt out from the the workload what's your advice on that yeah a couple, this, this is a big topic cliff love that you're talking about it i think it, it means a lot to every developer and every technologist out there in terms of how they work um first i'll, I'll just start with um, within Capital One, we really believe about uh, flexibility and that's what we built our hybrid model on. Yes. Um, you know, yes, Monday and Friday are optional days um, where people don't have to be in the office. Um, you know, Tuesday through Thursday is options for people to come together into the office. Mm. And so, uh, but they don't have to. It, it's based on team norms. We really are trying to push down um, our hybrid decisioning to teams to do what's best for them right now so that there's flexibility. And you know, I'll be I'll be, you know, transparent. I grew up in an environment where I was going to the office every day sitting yes. beside some of the smartest engineers at Microsoft and Amazon and learning from them yeah. um, and asking questions and mentor being mentored by them and and yet we've developed new mechanisms to do that in a remote way. Hmm. So so that's kind of one one part of your question is really about flexibility and autonomy. So that teams don't burn out by um, uh, by forcing themselves in, into the office, um, but enabling them to have a great experience when they do come to the office. Mm. But and that's then, also just sorry, just to stop you there, Brad. Um, uh, I mean, uh, I, <laughs> I can't say I've had a similar experience, but when working on a news desk, one thrives on the the team. There's a bit of competition. There's the jokes. There's the the fact that you're all working together, not necessarily always on the same thing, but you're always working as a team. And I wonder how that changes and can adapt to hybrid working. Yeah, one of the beauties about software development uh, process and engineering right now is the notion of scrum teams. Mm. Um, teams that are very focused on a service that they're bringing to market, that they're developing on, that they're operating, and the team rallying around that service and supporting that service, um, you know, and, and that environment creates that cohesiveness amongst the members of that team. Mm. And so uh, for, for me, it's a very, uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very socialistic way of building software where, uh, you know, developers and product managers and designers and testers are, are together, um, whether virtually or not with the same goal of, of creating and developing and operating great services for their cust for their customers. Mm. And I think that creates this synergy, this purpose um, that whether you're in the office or not, uh, I believe really makes a team thrive mm. um, um, and to do their best work. I, I don't want to take take away from the skills that the software developers have and uh, their expertise. But how do you, what, how would you create an environment where it's fun, it's fun to work? Uh, because, you know, having a team where if, if someone is struggling with something, you know, one can sort of help them out, you know, whether it's a personal issue or it's a work-related issue and 
and kind of work together to to get around you know the the problems that they're they're having yeah uh, well i think actually more than anything the pandemic has shown us when we were in our isolated homes um how to connect using technology um and i wouldn't say it's as as great as being able to you know physically be in front of someone or hug somebody mm. um you know and and share that moment but um, I will say that over the two and a half years of the pandemic, uh, we certainly have been able to reach out and connect with each other with the use of technology. And I couldn't imagine life without it over these past two years. Um, I think it's another great example of the innovation that enables connections to happen. Mm. And so, so that's kind of one. And then two, Cliff, with respect to um, these scrum teams, they form norms, um, mm. rituals that they uh, that they execute on a daily basis, whether it be starting with a stand-up and closing with a end of day, you know, what are we doing tomorrow type of a meeting or, um, you, know, you know, seeing the metrics of their service live in real time and understanding what problems there may be. And then even, and those norms bring us together where we do talk about, you know, what's top of mind. I know in my staff meetings, a lot of times we start with like, hey, um, like outside of work, what are you feeling right now? Like, mm. where, where, where's your head at? Um, you know, and and we share those and we express those, and those norms have have maintained themselves um, in physical meetings that I'm att attending now too, when I, in this hybrid mode, which is just it's been great to see that um, these norms have changed how we interact with one another because mm. pre-pandemic we didn't do those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think at the very start of the pandemic, I was speaking to uh, someone who had written a book about how you run uh, meetings, uh, just generally on online meetings and and why they are not necessarily fully transactional, though they should never be fully transactional uh, because um, I mean, you want you want someone to open up and talk about stuff they want to talk about. Uh, I guess what my as a follow-on question to what you're what we what we are sort of discussing here, um, I mean, do you see people you know like you well but the, what do they call it the water cooler? I mean, uh, this is not about innovation and someone coming up with a great idea at the water cooler, but someone talking about what they watched on for the sake of argument Netflix or what music they're listening to on Spotify or something, um, you know, so that you you sort of you're a real person, you're actually you have a life outside of the sitting at the keyboard and programming or solving the business problems. And I'm wondering how that is feeding in and helping. Or, I mean, have you seen that as a way that, you know, people are able to break, you know, break the geographic boundaries that they have because they're not in the office and able to talk to one as one another as if they were at the water cooler or the coffee machine? Yeah. Um, look, nothing replaces um, walking by someone at the water cooler or, uh, you know, uh, when I grew up at the at the printer or the mm. printer room <laughs> to date yes. myself. Um, nothing nothing can get around that um, that those those uh, collisions, those positive collisions that happen in, in on a work floor. Mm. Um, however, uh, I will say that. We've actually done exactly what you just said. We've started with, we started meetings with, hey, what show is everybody watching? Or what movie have you seen mm. um, lately? And, and I think it's about, I think, like being in this 
uh, in this era of, of, of non-physical togetherness, we've actually flexed our muscles on thinking about the other people as real people and what they may be going through mm. and embedding um, embedding more social interaction through, even though it's over Zoom or, or, or Teams, like it's, I think we're doing more of it. What I, what I will also share with you, Cliff, is I think that it's enabled more diversity in thought leadership to come forward. Mm. Um, you know, there's mechanisms within these, within these, um, um, within Zoom and, and, and Teams that allow someone to put a comment on the right-hand side, yes. you know, that they would have never been able to put a comment because maybe they're too shy. Mm. And so, so I think there's, I think what we really need to focus on is we've, we've created an environment that made it very equal for people to share uh, their thoughts um, over the last couple of years with Zoom. And I think the real focus needs to be as we head back into the office, into a hybrid world, how do we and how do we continue to enable the diversity of thought that comes through a Zoom meeting with everybody having an equal voice yes. uh, or being able to share or put their hand up or you know give a thumbs up to something? And I think that is a real opportunity to take where we've been and move it forward um, as we enter more hybrid or back to the office scenarios. Mm. Okay. Should we go back to something more hardcore IT? <laughs> I love it. No, great. <laughs> it's fantastic. But um, let's, uh, let's look at um, one, one of the things that uh, I think I actually, I did a recent um, article of, uh, based on some KP, KPMG report actually, which is, which was looking at this last week. And it's um, this constant theme in IT around maintaining legacy and uh, uh, I mean, just so you know, the uh, the KPMG report, uh, one of the questions was looking at tec technical debt um, and, and what people felt about that. Uh, now, with more of business being driven by software and so mo more code is being developed, right? Uh, but the old stuff still has to be maintained. And that me even means, you know, things that were just a few years old but have now been deployed or in production and they're running the business. They're not necessarily old as we call like legacy old, like many, many years old, but they're effectively legacy because the, the business is, is moving on to new and better things and in, innovative things. But these core businesses, business systems still have to run. And you mentioned at the start around the core banking platform, right? You know, that's a st stuff that was built many years ago in some cases. And these things have to be maintained because they run the business. Um, and I wanted to just explore that a little bit and ask you some questions around that, which to start off with, uh, with more of the business being driven by software, uh, where do you see, I mean, how can IT leaders remove the wasted work and avoidable effort developers face daily to enable them to free up their time to do more interesting and high value work? Yeah, um, so this is like, what I love about Capital One is we talk about things in a way of, of strategy equaling leverage. Um, and when you think about software development, where's the leverage? Leverage is in the technologists. And I use technologists broadly, not just the engineer writing code, but could be the product manager, could be hmm. uh, you know a, a data scientist, could be anybody. But we have to optimize their time to focus on what's most important and remove the avoidable effort. And I love you use the word avoidable effort because mm. uh, it's exactly the term we use uh, inside of Capital One and that I've used elsewhere prior to being here. 
Yeah. Um, and, and really, the way you get out of avoidable effort is, uh, in my opinion, is looking for bottlenecks in your systems. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, ridding the systems of these bottlenecks uh, by focusing on automation that removes these bottlenecks and simplifies your systems. And, and so that's a very, very pointed attack by which we can do that. And it's very clear when something is a bottleneck, yes. um, you know, backlogs become massive, uh, your internal businesses become uh, like the NPS of your services drop. Hmm. Um, and so ridding yourself of these bottlenecks and that allows you to focus on what's most important. And it's just not from your systems perspective, like the code that you're delivering, hmm. as you mentioned, like the legacy code, it's also from the tooling of how we build software like optimizing the time it takes for a new developer to get up and running because we're pre-provisioning environments with the dependencies that they need to do their work um, natively as they as they boot up their machine. Hmm. Like imagine the time reduced just to uh, a new developer uh, with hands-on keyboard pushing their first line of code to production. Hmm. And, and so it, it's really across the vast ecosystem of the developer and technologies experience that we're focused on at Capital One and we invest uh, heavily uh, on automating and building automated systems mm. to enable us to deliver more for our customers. Uh, I mean, can you give just an example of, of one example, maybe if you can share it, of some of those efficiencies that you, you you've you've been able to achieve? Yeah, I think a, a great one and uh, is really around pipelines, mm. um, like pipelines to deliver code. Um, why would thirty different teams need unique pipelines and spending? 30 different you know, dev teams worth of time maintaining and managing those pipelines rather than centralizing the code delivery type pipeline to be a managed service that's offered by your technology organization as an enabler. I mean, that's a really great one that pulls out resources that we don't need to be uh, wasting their efforts. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a great one. Mm. I just want to stop you then, Brad. It just got me thinking. Um, because that does sound, I mean, it's not the case, but I'd I like your your sort of input on this, but that does sound like waterfall, having a central organization looking after some aspect of this pipeline. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, I might disagree with you that uh, a managed service equals waterfall. Um, that would mean anyone who's building on AWS is doing waterfall development today. Mm. Uh, as an example, because they're leveraging those services. Hmm. So, uh, you know, a pipeline is just the way in which you, you know, push code through different environments up to production. Um, and that happens um, at any point of your development lifecycle, whether you're pushing code on a daily basis uh, through those pipelines or you're doing a weekly build. Um, I, I, what we're focused on is removing the effort of developers to manage and maintain those pipelines mm. or, or the, sorry, the, the platform that enables you to push your code through the pipeline. Yes. And, and therefore it speeds up everyone's uh, delivery. Okay, I mean, just finally, uh, I mean, do you see any role for Waterfall in, in an organization? Um, I don't know if I like, uh, I don't know if I would say that there's a role for Waterfall but I would say that there's very um, there's not as many instances of true agile development as what people think there are. Mm. Um, when when you're um, a shareholder-owned company and you have commitments to deliver to market, 
um, certain capabilities that you're forecasting your financials on uh, for the future, for investors to understand where you're going, right away, you've kind of shifted yourself away from just extreme agile. Mm. Um, and so we focus more on scrum uh, methodologies, whereby we do small releases that are iterative that allow us to shift, um, that sh can shift our priorities on a, on a sprint to sprint basis. Um, and that's really where we focus um, our development. I would argue that when building a new product where there's an MVP that you're trying to define that goes out the door, um, that is, you're working back from a date, you're working back from a set of capabilities. I wouldn't call it waterfall, um, but it's essentially, because um, you can work within Scrum to get to that date, mm. but but it is waterfall-esque when you, when, as soon as you put those constraint parameters around the delivery. Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting debate, isn't it? I mean, we could go on forever uh, yeah. about, you have a product release, um, you know, in, in the case, you example you gave, you know, because of, you know, being a public listed company or whatever, and then therefore you work backwards to achieve that. How you achieve that, it doesn't matter, but there is going to be at some point, effectively, a big bang. This thing has to be delivered before this date. Well, Brad, thank you ever so much for taking part in today's podcast. It's been a fantastic conversation. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Cliff. Really appreciated your time today. And thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.